Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Africa Past and Present, the podcast about African history, culture, and politics. I'm your host, Peter Alagi. And I'm Peter Lim, and uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce our special guest today, Gary Morgan, who, since 2009, has been Michigan State University Museum Director. He holds a PhD in zoology from Monash University and was previously executive director of the Western Australian Museum, director of collections and research at Te Papa Museum of Aitoria, New Zealand, one of the world's most amazing museums, and also associate director of the Australian Museum. He spent two years in Mua, Malawi, and is collaborating on the first ever book on Malawi's Great Dance, or Gulewamkulu, about which he has curated a wonderful exhibition currently viewable in person at MSU Museum and also available online at museum.msu.edu. Click on Exhibitions at the top and then Great Dance under Current Exhibitions. Dr. Morgan, how did you come to be interested in African masks? Well, spending two years in one of the richest uh, mask-making and masquerading traditions in Africa uh, can't fail but to elicit uh, a tremendous excitement and, and engagement. Uh, the Gulawamkulu uh, in Malawi, Zambia and Mozambique is, is truly one of the most creative and sophisticated of the mask-making traditions of Africa. And where I was based in Mua, uh, it was very much in the heartland of the Chewa people, so it was still very much a day-to-day -day tradition that, that had a very real and important part in their lives. So what is Gulewamkulu and what are its origins and broader social and cultural context? Gulewamkulu is Chichewa and it means quite literally great or big dance. And it is the most obvious manifestation of the male society amongst the Chewa called the, the Nyao. And it is, in effect, a connection point. The Gulawamkulu is a performance, but it is also a very, very complex morality play where literally hundreds or even thousands of different characters come to the village and are a connection between the living villagers and the ancestors who have gone before them. And the Gulawamkulu bring messages. They bring messages from the ancestors to the living, advising them on how to live a proper, productive, uh, and peaceful lifestyle and as well embody to the village the powers that the ancestors have in areas such as reproduction and generation of crops and so forth. And there's also a, uh, a fusion, if you like, I think, of, of, of different um, peoples in, in, in this tradition of uh, Piri and earlier peoples. How, how does this play out in, over time? The, the Chewa as we know them today are a substantial melding of two large clan groups that moved into that part of Africa which we now call Malawi. The first which associated with the Banda clans probably arrived somewhere around 900 AD. About 300 years later the clans associated with the Piri people moved also into that part of Malawi. The Banda were a more uh, agricultural and less hierarchical people. The Piri had what we would regard as something akin to a kingship and a much more structured society. And over time, the two did meld and produce what we now call, call the Chewa. The Gulawamkulu is regarded as having its origins with the Banda. 
So it, it, it certainly has occurred in Malawi for at least a thousand years. We're not sure how much older it is than that. We're not sure whether the Gulo Mkulu was brought with them much as we see it today with the Banda as they moved from the northwest into Malawi. And we don't know as well whether or not the intersection of the Bantu peoples with the indigenous people of Malawi, the, the small statured Akafula people, also influenced and informed the way Gula Wankula is today. So there are still many questions, and, and many of those questions we will probably not ever know the answer to. But what we see today is a manifestation which is both very traditional, but also very contemporary, adaptable and evolving. What about the uh, gender and generational aspects of these Chiwa masking traditions and performances? Um, in a talk that you gave last week, there was a very interesting discussion uh, after the, the, your wonderful talk about these issues and it seemed to me that there, there, there is a fascinating story here for listeners to hear. Well as I mentioned earlier the Gulawamkulu are owned by the male society sometimes called a secret society because it does have many secrets and those secrets are only revealed to the boys when they are initiated into adulthood. So the Nyao control the Gulawamkulu, they create the masks they create the stories. They are responsible for its evolution from, uh, from traditional into contemporary. But they are also very much engaged with the women. And when you see a Gula Wamkulu performance, you will, you will immediately be struck by the way the performers, all of whom, well, almost all of whom, I should say, are men, interact with the women on the dance floor, the Bualo in the center of the village. It's a very interactive engagement. And Claude Boucher, the Catholic missionary and anthropologist with whom I worked for two years in Malawi and who has documented the Gula Wamkulu for over 30 years, often refers to that engagement as a letting off of steam. It's the way the community comes together, certainly as a party, certainly as a festivity, but it's one where things can be engaged with, topics can be raised that wouldn't be proper for polite speech. So these characters will bring quite sensitive issues into the village. They can talk about tensions which are going on in the village. They can make reference to a village headman who perhaps has not been uh, carrying out his responsibilities appropriately. They can refer to a husband who hasn't been acting appropriately by being out of control, by not treating his family, his wife, properly. So they can be very engaged with things which are happening in the there and now. And it's that interaction with the dancer with the women who can in fact be there in hundreds. So you see the dancer in the middle of the Bualo and hundreds of women who are singing, they're, they're running from the dancer, they're, they're dancing with the dancer. It's a, it's a very gender enjoining performance, uh, although strictly speaking owned by the men. And the men in uh, the society actually lose status when they marry. They most certainly do. The, the Chewa are a matrilineal society and the tr tradition is that the the husband will move to the, the village of the, of the wife uh, after they marry. When he does so, he is actually at the lowest level of the pecking order within the authority of that family in that village. So whatever position he held previously, he is regarded as something of an outsider within the context of his wife's family. And the Gulu Amkulu has many stories about this. Uh, it tells the stories of many of these husbands, or umkamwini, as they are in, in Chichewa, who cannot adjust 
to this loss of status. They want to have more authority, they want to have more respect, they want to have more say. And it spurs a whole range of improper antisocial behaviour. And interestingly, although it is a male-crafted uh, art form and a male social commentary, the advice of the ancestors is overwhelming, almost consistently, that the Imkamwini, the husband, should just accept his lot. He should get on with life. He shouldn't complain. He shouldn't turn to alcohol. He shouldn't beat his wife. He should just accept that this is the way that things are. And if he does that, he can actually live a very happy life in this new setting. He gets to have his wife around him. He gets to have the engagement of, of, of family and so on. So he needn't be a protesting part of the, the community. And this is an interesting insight into Gulo Mkulu in general, because overwhelmingly it is an agent to maintain harmony, to maintain peace in the village. It's a, an advice which generally uh, acts against the adoption of change, and not, not exclusively, and we can talk more on that in a moment, but it is generally one which advises all the people of the community to get on together, however hard things may be, that the community needs everyone to be contributing to it if it is to survive. As a public performance space, uh, it reminded me, going through the website in particular, uh, and looking at the characters of Commedia dell'arte mm. in Italy. And, and mm. when we grew up uh, in Italy, we know about Pulcinella and mm. Arlecchino mm. and Pantalone and all these great characters mm. um, you know, that were popularized uh, after the 16th century. Um, it is popular theater. It has costumes and masks, of course. Uh, there's social commentary that draws on these current affairs and local concerns, improvisation. Uh, how does it compare uh, with Commedia dell'arte, for instance, taking it out of this African context, perhaps? I think that's a really nice analogy, and, and we, we uh, refer to the Commedia in our larger Mars Secrets and Revelations exhibit that we, we are running at the museum through to the end of the year as well. Um, as you've referred, the, these, are, these are both forms of entertainment but also social commentary and satire. Uh, satire which in many cases would not have been safe or, or appropriate, uh, non-masked and open-faced. While the, the Commedia has a number, uh, quite a variety of stock characters, uh, the Guluam Kulu has many hundreds of characters and over time most certainly will have had thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of characters. And with this thousand years or so of legacy, uh, we can see evolving into the contemporary days with new characters which are appearing all the time. So it's very like the Commedia which has survived and continue to grow, spawned many, many variations on it. But I think you're right, I think the, the, the form and function uh, were very similar. And, uh, and I think that uh, in, in visiting Africa and seeing this, this, uh, this spectacle within the, the villages and the communities of the Chewa, you are actually getting a window into mask making as it has been used in many cultures around the world. Well, this suggests a linkage to contemporary affairs, to politics, village life, morality and health and so on. Uh, looking at the wonderful physical masks that you had collected, I was struck by one in particular of the current president. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit about the, perhaps the sort of tightrope that the uh, Gulewamkulu uh, walk in its uh, subtle commentary or satire. Mm. In, in a way, this also, Peter, relates to some way to the uh, Izibongo or the role of praise poets in both Southern and West Africa or the griots and that although they are often seen as 
praising an African king, they also are very much into critique. Mm. No, I think, I think they're, they're a very good question. Um, while the, the overwhelmingly messages of the Gulawamkulu are conservative, traditional values, traditional values that we would recognize as fundamental to even uh, Judeo-Christian society, the similarity is astounding, um, there is nonetheless the capacity in Gulawamkulu to respond and respond very quickly to contemporary events. In the case of politics, the Gulawamkulu has been a long time player and in fact in the village context has often been their main medium for being able to comment upon the politics of the day. This certainly stems uh, from the time of the first president of Malawi, uh, Hastings Kamuzubanda, who was a Chewa. And when he first took office around 1964 was regarded widely as something of a hero for, for the African population of Malawi. Over time uh, his regime was seen to be more and more uh, corrupt, more and more oppressive, and the tide of public opinion turned against him. And no more was that evident than in the, the Gulawamkulu context. So what you see around the 1960s, the Gulawamkulu characters which are praising Banda, putting him in a heroic role, separating the country away from the colonial powers. By around the early 1990s, a little before uh, his ousting and the first democratic elections, the tide had turned completely and the Gulawamkulu characters were universally opposed to Banda. And, and recommending change. This has continued into the modern day, but of course today the, the popular media, the press of Malawi, is allowed to comment on politics far more so than it could under the Banda regime. So there are other outlets, but nonetheless there are still political masks, and one in our exhibit, as you referred to a moment ago, Peter, uh, refers to the current president of Malawi, uh, Bingu Wa Mutarika, and the character is called a Bingu. The A in front of the name is actually a salutation. It's a, it's a recognition of honor, an honorific. And this character is uh, presented in pink, and that might surprise people because uh, Mutarika is, of course, an African. But the color there is not suggesting he's European. The color there is suggesting he's an outsider, he's a stranger. And that means to the Chewa, because uh, Mutarika is a Lomwe. He's not depicted in bright red, which is a commonly used color in the Chewa. When red is used, it tends to indicate very strong negativities or an outsider who is very much estranged from the community. And the Chewa haven't regarded uh, Mutarika in that light. Overwhelmingly, his presentations have been relatively positive. And I think that reflects that they do see him as being a much more balanced leader, a much more considered uh, leader, and certainly, certainly at least in his first term, a leader who was anti-corruption and so forth. It would be very interesting me, to me now to see how, with recent events in Malawi, the Chewa are engaging with, uh, with perhaps the greater volatility which we're seeing in, in modern Malawian politics and uh, civil order. But certainly, politics has featured prominently. Uh, as well as politics, they deal with issues to do with human health. And we have a number of characters, one in particular in the exhibit called Kajioche, which means go and burn yourself. Yeah. And Kajioche is a dancer who actually holds two burning torches in his hands. And during the performance, literally runs these torches along his arms and along his legs, finishing with a, with a, a burning, as it were, of his groin. And Kajioche is a character that refers to HIV AIDS. And he's a voice 
of an orphan child whose parents have both died. The father brought AIDS back to the family through promiscuous and inappropriate behaviour. Infected his mother, both the parents are dead, the children are infected, they are all doomed. And that kind of message is very strongly pronounced in the Gulawamkulu. And again, it harks back to the traditional, very conservative values that they set, but set now within a very contemporary arena and mindset. As listeners um, are tuning in to Gary Morgan's descriptions of uh, Gulawamkulu, uh, they might also want to point their browsers to the characters section of the uh, museum exhibit online where you can browse the little portraits and wonderful photographs that not only Gary took but also Arya Vandermev took in Malawi. So uh, please do explore the website uh, as we talk. And actually when I was reading uh, the description of the exhibit and searching through the characters I thought about one possible peril in this exhibit, and I, and I wanted to hear your take on this, and that is that the image of exotic Africa is a very resilient and quite widespread uh, one around the world, unfortunately. Uh, how does the exhibit on Chewa masks avoid reproducing these myths of you know, savage Africa, primitive Africa? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, that's a perceptive insight, and it is, a, it is a, a, a caution that all museums have to take on board and treat very seriously. Uh, in, in first part, I would answer that uh, the Great Dance is a component of the broader Mask Secrets and Revelations program that we've been running through the year. And that larger exhibit uh, sets masks from around the world in a context which does not present them as being the masks from Africa, the masks from Asia, the masks from Mexico and so forth. And it does so very deliberately. It does so to reinforce to the viewer that there is a very strong commonality, that there are unifying themes that run through mask making that make it a universal pursuit, not one which is uh, restricted to those cultures which we in the West might in a desultory fashion regard as exotic or primitive. In the case of the Gulawamkulu, uh, what we try to do in the exhibit is to remind the audience that this is a living, breathing, very contemporary practice as well as one that, that draws upon these very traditional and, and classical roots. Uh, it's also, and we hope this message will come through to the viewer, I'm sure it will, it's also an incredibly sophisticated and nuanced one. When one deals with the nature of the, the, the uh, semiotics of the mask and the way in which stories are captured in, in works which are truly works of art, captured in the performance of the dancer, captured in the songs, of which there can be several for any one dancer, and the interaction between the dancers and the public in the village, this is, there is nothing primitive about this. This is an extraordinary complicated medium of communication. And linking too with the fact that, as I say, it has this living, breathing relevance to the modern world, uh, I, th I believe very strongly that what we are doing is elevating public awareness of just how rich and diverse the cultures of Africa are and how applicable they remain now, that we shouldn't see them as an artifact of the past. And one of the great uh, attributes of Claude Boucher, uh, with whom I worked in Moor, who is a, a Catholic uh, priest, was to recognise that. And his message was very strongly that to be a good Christian, one need not give up what it means to be an African and to draw this extraordinarily rich cultural tradition that is Gulawamkulu with you and to take it with you and to build upon that for a modern Malawi. 
And that's not going to be a small challenge because Malawi faces many pressures now as it continues to evolve into a modern, modern society. Malawi is often characterised uh, as an essentially rural society, but of course things change, things fall apart. Um, when I was visiting Malawi recently, I was struck by the presence of uh, many Chinese visitors and uh, turned out that uranium had been discovered in the north of the country and so things certainly change and prompts the question, what of the future of Gulewamkulu and its context in this globalizing, urbanizing, capitalist world? Mm. Yeah, this, this, this really is the crux of the, of the future of Gulewamkulu as it is for so many uh, rich and wonderful traditional practices around, around the planet. Um, Malawi does remain a largely rural community, it's true, and between 80 and 85 percent of Malawians still live in small communities uh, around the country, but uh, it is also one of the most rapidly urbanizing countries of southern and eastern Africa. And that of course means that the population within the villages is being more splintered. Uh, the young people are moving more to the towns to, to try and find work, work that frequently is not there. Uh, they do, however, generally retain strong links back to the village and one notes in Malawi and I'm sure elsewhere in Africa that when one speaks with uh, city workers, they'll all have stories about returning back to the village, making contact again with, uh, with their community, with their families. Many of the city owners continue to own plots of land and even continue to grow crops back in the village and that, that maintains that link. So for them, Gulawamkulu is still very real and still very relevant in their lives. But nonetheless, there are huge pressures. Uh, the move towards uh, and, and ever increasingly towards a, a cash-based society uh, is putting great pressure on people's time. Gulawamkulu was a community event. It took a long time to make the masks. It took a long time to also make the structures, as well as masks, I might add, there are large structures in which uh, several dancers would perform. And, and the very exercise of making these was community bonding. It would bring the men together, often for, for weeks at a time. That sort of time is much harder to find now. There's far more pressure to be working for dollars, uh, far more pressure to be, to be bringing income into the community, and Gulawamkulu is not intrinsically an income-generating uh, form, form of culture. Uh, as well, you have the pressures of, of uh, young people who uh, ever more are looking to, to the West for their incentives, for their, for their value system. Uh, pressures which come from other, other ways to spend one's time. The, the weekend football match attracts as much interest now as a Gulewamkulu event does. Uh, you have in the past and even today still pressures from various church groups who see the Gulewamkulu as being inappropriate for, uh, for any, any community which is aspiring to, to a, another form of religion. And unfortunately the Catholic and other churches are still guilty of that to some extent. While within schools there is not a, uh, a government policy against Gulawamkulu, nonetheless the children uh, are encouraged to be attending school, especially during the, the dry season when Gulawamkulu is most often performed. During the periods of the rains and the planting of the crops, uh, there is just too much happening in the community for Gulawamkulu to be, be performed. And that is also the time when the kids are often being taken out of school by the parents to help with, with the growing of the crops. Mm. So you have this duality of pressures there. And I would also add that there is something, something we'd call back in Australia, something of a cultural cringe. And that is uh, not confined to the Chewa, but certainly in, in, in Africa, certainly in Malawi, there's the aspiration that to be a modern thinking person, perhaps you, you can't continue to practice these, 
these traditional practices. And that actually refers to the question raised just a moment ago as to how to present Gulawamkulu as not being an exotic and primitive form. Unfortunately, even amongst a growing population of Africans, it can be seen that way. And it can be seen as something of the past rather than something of the future. And what we have to be doing, and I think the, the Chewa and Malawians themselves are taking on this role more and more, is to remind people that to be Chewa is something to be proud of. And that the Gula Wamkulu is the ultimate manifestation and demonstration of Chewa-ness. So it isn't something you must give up in order to engage with and embrace a modern world. Quite the contrary. It tells you who you are. It empowers you more to engage with this global world where it's all too easy to be immersed and to lose ourselves. And that's a comment that's true for all of us from whatever background we come. So in some ways, uh, the great dance, the Gule Wamkulu, to some people is perhaps being seen as a great entertainment. Um, but I think also perhaps it's you mentioned schools and mm. education, so maybe the, there are ways in the education system that the Gule Wamkulu is making a comeback or becoming resilient? Uh, absolutely, and one of the ways it's doing that is to plug in with issues which are of substantial current importance to society. Uh, you mentioned the case of schools, well that's a very good example. In a number of areas of Malawi now, uh, local communities have Gulawamkulu characters that are coming to the villages and escorting the children to school. They're actually encouraging the, the, the children to make that contact with the modern world. I think it's just a lovely image, just a lovely image as a, as a conveyance. They are still a conveyance, not only from the ancestors to the living, but from tradition to, to, the, to the future. Uh, Gulawamkulu uh, performers uh, will often appear now at openings of hospitals and at, at events related to health. Uh, not only because you have characters like Kadzioche and others which deal with significant issues of health, but you mentioned the entertainment. They are a form of entertainment and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, it is something which attracts people to events. It's something which, which brings them in and at, at those events we can be seeing community engaging with issues of, of moral and future uh, importance. So I think the Gulawamkulu has all the potential to to adapt into the future as it has for a thousand years. And we mustn't forget uh, the, the potential of cultural tourism, uh, an area which Malawi has not substantially exploited to any extent yet. Malawi is a tourist destination, it's well regarded, it's a very beautiful country, has a wonderful lake, but the, the overlays and nuances of the many cultural groups there has not featured prominently in tourism to any extent to date. And the area that I worked in and the, uh, the Kungoni Cultural Centre, which is based at Mua, where I was for two years, is one of the few places now in Malawi where you can get a real insight, an informed insight, into the cultures of the Chewa, the Ngoni and Yao people of, of central Malawi. But that will grow. And if that's done well, and there are risks, I, I, I certainly recognise the risks, but if cultural tourism is done well, it can be a wonderful resource, it can be a cash earner, and it can feed back and encourage the continuation of these wonderful practices which otherwise are at risk. It just goes to show how important museums are in, in Africa and in African studies, and, uh, and uh, there have been some important works on museums in Africa, although I must say a much neglected subject is the Gule Wemkulu. And so perhaps finally you could just tell us a little bit about this fascinating new book. Uh, to my mind, uh, uh, the first uh, major work 
on this uh, masking and performance tradition. Uh, 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 you mentioned the Congoni Centre. Um, when will it appear? What will be the title, the publisher, and how can people obtain it? Well, I'm just in the, in the process now of dealing with the second proof. So our aim is that uh, the book, which will be called When Animals Sing and Spirits Dance, lovely title, uh, will be published uh, by the end of the year, by December and possibly January. Uh, it will be published through Congoni Centre and uh, distributed in the United States by MSU Press, which I would mention is the largest distributor of African books in America, greatly to its credit. This is a, this is a lovely book. Uh, I'm very proud to have had a, a part in it. Uh, it is substantially the work of Claude Boucher and the, the almost 40 years of research that he has put into uh, studying the, the Chewa and the Gula Wamkulu. Uh, it is beautifully illustrated with photographs, mostly taken by Ian Vandermeer, uh, a professional photographer in, in Blantyre. Um, it also has original works of art, paintings by Claude Boucher, who not only is a scholar-priest, but quite, a, quite a, a talented artist in his own right. And an honorary Nkosi, uh, a chief? He is most certainly an honorary chief, and he has been uh, inducted into the, the now secret society, of course, as one would, would expect for someone who knows so much about it. Uh, my privilege was to work with him on the editing and to in fact write a number of the general sections of it. So the, the introduction and background, uh, the afterthoughts and so forth uh, were areas that I was able to provide a kind of collation and, uh, and an interpretive role. And I think it will be a wonderful resource. It's a visually beautiful book, uh, but it will also be a great research for scholars around the world. Well, congratulations on that, and thank you very much, Gary Morgan, for talking to Africa Past and Present and listeners and uh, can uh, view some of these uh, wonderful images by going to the websites that are linked to uh, on Africa Past and Present homepage and which we've already mentioned. Africa Past and Present is produced by Matrix, the Center for Humane Arts, Letters, and Social Sciences Online at Michigan State University. Our producer is Scott Pennington. Technical assistance is provided by Alicia Scheel and the Matrix staff. For more information about this and other episodes, and to subscribe to the podcast, you can visit our website at afripod, that's A-F-R-I-P-O-D, dot A-O-D-L dot O-R-G. Africa Past and Present is also available on iTunes and other podcatcher sites. To get in touch with us, send us email at africa.podcast at matrix.msu.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>